All right, so Ecclesiastes 12. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14. Uh, and you can just follow along with me. I'm going to read out loud the whole thing. Um, so let's start in verse 9, Ecclesiastes 12. This is God's Word. It's really good. Uh, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. And by the way, this right here, this is the guy that's been writing Ecclesiastes. He's referring to himself now. It's kind of like some artistic literary device, okay? So just not to, so we're all on the same page. This is Solomon talking about himself, okay? Uh, Starting in verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Get an amen to that, I bet. Yeah. Um, the end of the matter, all has been heard. So this is like his conclusion. He's summing it all up. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray one last time, or one more time. Uh, God, you're good to us. Thank you for your word. Thanks for uh, speaking, uh, speaking to us. Thank you that that you um, you speak because you love us and that you want us to know you. Um, and so we pray now. We come in so distracted and overwhelmed, even me, um, with so many things on our minds, uh, so many projects to do, so many exams to do, um, so many just burdens uh, or stress or anxiety. We carry stuff in here, and I pray now that the next few moments that it would be just a time of rest um, where we would be nourished by your word, we'd be encouraged. um, Help us listen, help us think, help us reflect. Um, Most of all, would we see Jesus? We pray in his name, amen. All right, so... Tough. It's a good word. It's a good southern word. Um, Tough is a word we might use to describe athletes. Um, And hockey players, (coughs) hockey players may be the toughest. You know what I'm saying? Like they're always missing teeth from an elbow or a hockey puck or something like that. Um, If you were to walk up to a hockey player uh, on the Boston Bruins, they would all tell you no one is as tough as Liam Fitzgerald. Uh, Liam is an eight-year-old boy with Down syndrome and a cancer survivor. Uh, Liam was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. That sounds bad. That sounds real bad. Um, At age four, and after three and a half years of battling, three and a half years of battling cancer, he's four when it started, uh, after three and a half years, the cancer was gone, and so he's a cancer survivor. It's a really great story. But Liam is actually most famous for his fist bump. Uh, he fist bumped every professional player on 
the Boston Bruins as they walked off the ice, actually skated off the ice um, after some warm-ups before a game, and it was caught on camera. And immediately, like no, nobody knows who this kid is, you know, besides like family. Uh, immediately it went, it was like a viral video. It's like hundreds of thousands of views now. And, and what you see in the video is pure joy from an eight-year-old who's been battling cancer half his life. And he's fist bumping every one of these hockey players. And there's a great interview out there uh, with Liam's mom. And in the interview, she says, I wish I could read it all to you because it's, it's amazing. Uh, she says, people tell us he's so cute. And he, he is really super cute. Uh, he was given to us to raise and given to the world to love. He brings joy to people. Uh, and there's something about him that draws people. It's his smile, his personality. I mean, he's just such uh, a joyful person. And she goes on to say, like, he's taught us a lot about life. And he, he really will teach you a lot about life. And so... This little eight-year-old, um, you know, I'm watching him, and, uh, and one of the things, you know, he got me thinking about as I watched this documentary on ESPN, <laughs> absolutely, and I cry all the time. Do they all get me? I'm a crybaby. My wife's like, are you watching ESPN again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling I'm going to shoot my gun or something. I don't know. It's like, I mean, I cried every one of them. They all get me. Anyway. <laughs> I watched them again and again. Just, I love to cry, I guess. And so, anyway, I'm watching this documentary about this little eight-year-old. And, uh, you know, and, and what started going through my mind, what it got me thinking about is the purpose of life. Like, it got me thinking about that question, you know, what is my purpose in life? How do I find purpose? Um, you know, the kind of things that you think about, the kind of things you are thinking about. I promise. You're thinking about it at some point in college. Uh, a lot of it's the reason that drove you here is you're you know trying to find some sort of purpose in life, right? Um, not a bad thing. Um, and so, what we're going to do tonight is how, we want to wrestle with the question like, how will we answer that question? Like, how do I find purpose? What is my purpose? You know, how how do we answer that question? And the reality and the struggle is. We often turn somewhere other than God to find purpose, right? Uh, we often turn to other things than God for purpose. I mean, we, it's, a, it's a very easy turn to make. Uh, and so, the writer of Ecclesiastes, guess what? He's wrestled with that question too. He knows what it's like to kind of wonder about purpose in life and find purpose in life. Uh, he's asked that very question, how do I find purpose in life? And that's really kind of what... He's been doing this whole book. He's saying, hey, here's how I've spent my life searching for purpose. All these different things. And he's been really honest with us. Uh, well, tonight he's done telling you about his search, and he's actually going to answer that question. You may not agree with him, but he's going to answer that question, how do I find purpose? He's going to tell you what your purpose is. So I know some of you have been really wrestling that question, and you showed up tonight, and guess what? You're not going to have to wrestle with it anymore. He's going to tell you, right? He's going to tell you what the purpose is. And so let's take a look at this passage that I just read. You can kind of break it up in two ways. We're going to think about the shepherd's words and the shepherd's way. Okay, the shepherd's words and the shepherd's way. 
In verses 9 through 14, I, I mentioned this earlier, we have the conclusion of the whole book of Ecclesiastes, and he's kind of pulling it all together. And he's going to say to us, like, here's the big idea, guys, gals. And so in verse 9, he starts pointing out uh, the care, the skill. If you look at verse 9, you'll see it, the artistry he has put into his writing. Uh, Literally, Solomon wrote about 3,000 proverbs. He's a busy guy. Uh, He wrote about 1,000 songs. I I don't know if they were all for the ladies, because we all know Solomon was a lover. Right? I don't know. He wrote a thousand songs. Um, And he did it in order. He tells us why he was doing all of this writing and why he spent so much time doing this. He did it in order to give it away. I think that's so good. Like, he wanted to pass his wisdom along to others for their good. Uh, And then you go to verse 10. He kind of reminds us, like, the, the words are delightful. Like, what he's writing um, is not boring, it's not sloppy, but it's actually very beautiful, it's very artistic, um, and very wise. And then you kind of keep going through that first four verses or five verses in 11 and 12, Solomon continues to describe his words of wisdom. And this is where it's going to, we're going to get to some real meaty stuff. Uh, and he uses some like, I mean, just fantastic images uh, first, he says, the words of the wise are like goads. First of all, let's just all acknowledge that's a weird word, <laughs> right? It is. Can we just keep it real? Goads. Uh, he, yeah, it's just it's strange. Uh, a goad, I'm going to say it a few more times probably, is like this, I want you to imagine like this long staff with some sort of nail, some sort of spike, spur at the end, used to move sheep right? Or oxen. You've heard of an ox goad. Um, used to, maybe you haven't. Why am I talking to you like that? Like, you haven't heard of an ox goad? Come on. That's, I'm from Alabama. Roll with it. Um, uh, and so, like, you would use it to move this herd, to move these animals in the right direction. You would use it to move them in the right direction, and also you would use it to turn them away from danger, right? And then second, he says his words are like nails firmly fixed, And so the idea there being one of like stability and permanence. You get that? Um, And so there is also, though, in this section, a really important phrase in verses 9 to 12 that like you don't want to miss. It's a game changer. It's like a theological tank just rolling through. It's going to drop some knowledge on you. It's going to like rearrange the furniture in your mind. I mean, it's good stuff. Uh, So look at the end of verse 11. The writer, Solomon, right, this king, says his words and collected sayings are given by the one shepherd. Now, most Bible translations, I would bet, the ones you have out there, capitalized the S in shepherd. Well, who do you think the one shepherd is? God is the one shepherd that he is referring to here. Uh, And, you know, That's not a surprise because if you just kind of look through the Old Testament, God, the shepherd is a title. It's actually a really noble title often applied to God. Uh, You see what? Like Psalm 23, super famous, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, Psalm 80. There's plenty of others we could keep going where God is described as a shepherd. 
And so Solomon's words, and when I say words, think, think like this. The book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, right, are not just his words. They're God's words, is, is what he's saying. Um, these books are inspired by God. They're not just, like, not just these books, though. I, I think you can take what he's saying and kind of apply it to the rest of the whole Bible. Um, to read Ecclesiastes as well as any other book of the Bible is to hear the shepherd's voice. You know, the, the Bible, and so let's take some of the stuff he has said to us, like goad, nails, those kind of things, and let's just apply them to, let's just think about the whole Bible for a second. Uh, the Bible is like a goad. Okay. Think about it. It pushes us. Like, it guides us in the right direction. It spurs us on to things like patience, humility, contentment, forgiveness. Like, it pushes us in those directions. Uh, when we forget about our Creator, it pokes us. You know what I'm saying? We get a little spur. Like, hmm. Uh, God's Word steers us away from danger, if you think about it. Now, we don't always listen to it, do we? I'm terrible at listening to it. Uh, but that's, that's one of the things it does. And it can sting sometimes. That's the reality of reading the Bible. Like, sometimes it's, it stings a little bit. Um, like, when I'm running to money for security, and then I'm in the Scripture, at some point I'm reminded there is no eternal, there is no eternal security in a six-figure salary. Six-figure salary is okay. I hope plenty of you have one one day. But there's no eternal security in that. And so it stings. It reminds me, whoa, man, I'm, I'm going in the wrong direction. Like I'm trusting in something else. I'm looking to something else other than God for security, for purpose. Um, you know, or when the Bible tells you to do things like flee temptation. Well, you read that and you're like, man, I got to stop checking out girls all the time. Fellas, like you got to, and like it's going to sting a little bit because you know you stare at girls all the time. You check them out. You love it, especially when they don't know that you are looking at them. You know what I'm saying? And so you read, you get in the scriptures, like all the dudes are like, boy, man, it's messed up. Uh, so like you get into the scripture and then you're like, man, it, it stings a little bit. Because the Bible says flee temptation, and here we are running to it. And so it's going to sting a little bit. Um, I hope I didn't surprise any of the ladies. They're checking you out all the time. Um, if they could get degrees in it, it would come so naturally. Um, so anyway, the Bible tells us to flee temptation, right? It stings. It's going to tell us to do all kinds of things, right, that may sting, but it's good. It's actually a good thing. Because what is it doing? It's trying to lead us away from danger. It's actually trying to lead us, encourage us, push us in the right direction. God's word is also like nails. <laughs> Stings too, but this is a different kind of nail, right? Uh, nails firmly fixed. And here's the idea it's getting at. It can stabilize. Like, um, it can stabilize you in the storms of life, right? Uh, when things are chaotic, you know, uh, it reminds us, like, okay, the waves are not going to consume me, right? The, like, God is with me. And sometimes I need to be reminded of that because I feel so alone, actually. 
And I do feel like the waves are going to consume me right now, like five minutes ago. Um, you know, I feel that way sometimes. Uh, it's, it, it reminds you that you're going to survive the next two weeks. All those exams, all those papers, presentations, projects, group projects, well, you're going to survive. Like, you're okay. It's going to be all right. God is with you. He is for you. You're going to make it. Some of you will graduate. I know you're a little stressed out, like, on the line. You can be all right. At least I think you are. Um, okay, so it, like, it reminds us, like, God is with us, right? There's also another thing it does in this little section. Uh, Solomon tells us that he says something to us in verse 12, if you want to look at it, uh, about God's word. In it, he says, he says something really personal. I don't even notice that first phrase. He said, my son, you could think my daughter, right? He says, my son, it's getting really personal. Um, he says, beware of anything beyond these, right? And what, what he's doing in that moment is he's warning us to rest in the written word of God. He's saying God's word is enough for you. Like it is sufficient. Right? That's what he's saying. It's sufficient. It is enough. All the stuff that life throws at you, God's word is enough. It's sufficient. Uh, And so let's keep going. Now we're going to take a second and look at verse 13 and 14. And we're going to think about the shepherd's way. So we kind of thought about his words for a second. Now we're going to talk about the shepherd's way. So, verse 13 starts out, the end of the matter. All has been heard. So this is like the, the, like the grand summary is coming. You should be on the edge of your seat right now if you're reading Ecclesiastes at home, right? It's there. You're there. Um, he said, this is like, so it's, I want you to think of it like this. He goes, he goes, the end of the matter. All has been heard. It's like Solomon is saying, okay, you wanted to know if, if parties would give you purpose. I threw the biggest parties, right? Uh, he's saying if you wanted to know if sex would give you purpose. I had more sex than you could in five lifetimes. That's what he said, and he did. Um, he's saying, oh, you... You wanted to know if money could give you purpose. I was, at one point, the wealthiest man on the planet. That's all the continents. That's every person on the planet. I was the wealthiest man in the world. Right? And he goes, this is what I've learned. God is your purpose. God is your purpose. Uh, I mean, listen to how he says it in verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. This is it. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Your purpose in life, is what it, this is what he's saying, is to fear God and keep his commandments. Another way to think about that is your purpose in life is to be in relationship with God. Like, he is your purpose. Um, and our purpose kind of has two parts, because there's two words, fear and keep. We're going to talk about them briefly. Um, the first thing he says is to fear God. Now, that's strange, isn't it? Fear God, right? 
Which, I mean, it sounds strange. My four-year-old, Noah, is afraid of monsters. And I don't know where he met monsters. I don't know where he saw them. uh, But he's afraid of monsters. And lately, he's been waking up scared and screaming. Like clockwork. 11, 12 o'clock every night. Screaming, I'm scared! And then you hear this jump. Doomp! And then, doom, 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 doom. And, and the next thing you know, he's like next to you, in between you and your wife, and he's sucking his thumb. All right? Now, he's afraid. That's not what the Bible has in mind here. Okay? God is not a monster out to destroy our lives, even though we may feel that way sometimes. Uh, he's really not. To fear God is actually a really, really good thing. Uh, and you see it all throughout the Old Testament. I started to like, give you some references. And when I was looking them up, I was like, forget it. It's everywhere. Go check it out yourself. Um, Proverbs 1.7, Luke 1.50. I mean, there's tons. Deuteronomy 10. I mean, Psalm 119. It's crazy. It's everywhere. This con- it's like a central. It is a central concept to the Bible, uh, especially the Old Testament. And one scholar kind of def- refers to the fear of the Lord. He kind of defines it this way. Tell- maybe this is helpful. Uh, it's an ad. He's- he refers to it simply as an attitude of submission to, respect for, dependence on, and worship of God. Now, that's a great, that's a mouthful of words, right? It's good. To put it more simply, to fear God is to trust Him. To fear God is to trust Him. And so your purpose in life, what he's saying to us, is to trust God and follow what He says. And you trust and follow God when you love Him. Simple. So simple, right? Y'all got that? Yeah, simple, cool. Totally. Um, and then on top of that, it's not simple. Just in case y'all didn't catch the humor. I'm not kidding. It's not simple. It's hard uh, to trust Him and to follow what He says. Um, and then on top of that, Ecclesiastes, this is a great, if you ever want to just have people reading your stuff for 3,000 years. You actually need to be inspired by God probably for that to happen. But this is, this is how he ends. I, w- I would, probably wouldn't recommend this. He ends with a promise of judgment in verse 14. He, yeah. He ends with a promise of judgment. I mean, listen to what he says in verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a home run, Solomon. Appreciate that. So encouraged. And very motivated. Uh, one pastor said this, just kind of like to give you some illustration of this. Imagine, this is what I want you to Imagine the day you were born. Um, God hit the record button, okay? And on the day you die, he, he will press stop, rewind, and press play. There are no secrets. Secret is actually make-believe. There are no secrets. God knows everything. Uh, Your friends may not know, but he does. Uh, There are no secrets. Like every thought, every word, every action will be judged by him. It's kind of what Solomon's ending on. Jeez. That's how y'all feel right now. Like, okay, man, Solomon, dude, that's motivating. Um, But here's the thing about verse 14, because that can kind of freak us out. Does anybody freaked out by that? You may be a little frightened. Thank you. I am. Y'all are good. I'm, I'm like, I read that. I'm like, not sleeping at night. Um, 
Here's the encouraging thing about verse 14. If you have trust in Jesus, like you love Jesus, you're not great at following him, fine, but you trust him, you want to follow him well, like you really do with all your heart believe that he took your record, he took it, and he gave you his record. Then verse 14 is actually a a comfort. It should be a comfort for you. It should be a comfort for Christians. Um, It can give you hope as you live life in a fallen world because it reminds us of this reality. God will win. God will make everything right. That's good. That's good. I need that. Um, like he will make all things right. Uh, and so anyway, Ecclesiastes 12. Great passage. This, this passage, I mean, it's a great way to end a series on Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's a, obviously a great way to end his book. At least he thought so. Uh, it, it, it does a couple of things. It points us to the one great shepherd. Like it, 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 it leaves us there with the one great shepherd. And it reminds us, or tells us, maybe because we've never heard it before, that our purpose in life is to trust and to follow the one true shepherd. But that's challenging. That's, that's not super easy. Right? It's a challenging passage because, one, that's, we know how difficult that is because we do it all the time. We try and we fail. Uh, but it also ends with a warning that's even more challenging, right? Now, what if the Bible stopped there? Y'all be, be kind of, would y'all feel the weight of that? Like maybe, like, whoa, I need, I need hope. I need more. Maybe a little depressed. Like, what am I going to do? Well, great. The Bible doesn't. Stop there. It actually continues. I don't know if you knew that. Um, it actually continues. And about a thousand years after this passage was written, the great shepherd came and laid down his life for his sheep. And this is where Christianity gets very different than every other religion on the planet. The great shepherd came and laid down his life for his sheep. All of the judgment that verse 14 talks about the one great shepherd will take upon himself to rescue his sheep. Right? That's good news. Uh, Michael Gordon, a guy I don't expect any of you to know, he's a pastor, I think he's in Nebraska. (coughs) Anyway, he did RUF in Georgia, and at one point, he worked on a farm in Wells. That sounds awesome. He worked on a farm in Wells. Now, Part of the farm was sheep, but you know what it actually was? It was a falcon farm. I'm not making this up. It was a falcon farm, and they used sheep to mow the grass. I'm not making this up. That's exactly what they did, but they had to farm sheep. He was a sheep farmer, okay, guys? Um, Anyway, one day, Michael was on on his break from farming falcons, (laughs) and he heard a... Bah. <laughs> he did. But it was faint. It was a faint bah. And, uh, and so the, he, he heard it, though. And he, so he starts to kind of look and follow the sound. And, and as he gets closer, it got louder. I'm not going to go louder for you. Bah. I mean, just imagine loud. But I want you to imagine a bah that is 
auto-tuned and super loud and obnoxious, frantic, crisis. Don't you think crisis um, with a little Sam I am in there? And so the sheep is going crazy. He's looking for it. And then all of a sudden, he comes to the sound. And all he sees is a hole in the ground with legs sticking out of it. And they're doing, like, they're doing this, right? Back legs. Back legs sticking out. Uh, and so, kicking frantically. The sheep had fallen. This is what sheep do, by the way. It's, being referred to as a sheep is not cute. I know we make it that way, but it's really not. Um, the sheep had fallen face down into a hole. Entire front two-thirds of its body under the earth. Cannot see it, but its hind legs. Uh, it had no way free. There was no rest. It was a sheep stuck in the dark, absolutely unable to rescue itself without a shepherd. Right? Without a shepherd, without a shepherd coming to rescue the sheep, it was hopeless, and it would have died. It would actually died tragic. I mean, it would have been a terrible death. Um, that's us. Like, we are that sheep. We are unable to rescue ourselves. Um, but the good shepherd has come. He has come to rescue us from darkness. And in John 10, Jesus said, He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus come to lay down his life for you. Trust him. Follow him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for the great shepherd uh, who does come and love us. Um who lays down his life to rescue us from darkness, from unrest. Um, Would we see that great shepherd? Would we trust him? Would we follow him with our whole hearts? We pray in his name. Amen.